establish peace between God and mankind. Isaiah 9 and 6 said, For a child is born to us, a son is given to us. The government will rest on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His government and its peace will never end. Can you say amen? And so um, I've been talking to you about the peace child and how that Christ came to bring peace to our hearts and to our world, and that is his ultimate goal. Um, every single person in the world is pursuing happiness. There's not a person anywhere on this planet that doesn't wake up every morning and say, I want to be happy and I want to do things that make me happy in my life. Peace is a vital ingredient to happiness. I don't know how anybody can be happy with some measure, without some measure of peace in their lives. Peace begins, first of all, with peace in your heart, peace with God and your maker. Uh, if, if you're not at peace with your maker, everything else is kind of going to be out of whack in life. So when you get saved, you come to peace with God. Actually, the term righteousness, which is the state of being saved, refers to being in right relationship with God being at peace with God. The second ingredient is to be at peace with yourself. You know, if you're struggling with your past, if you're struggling with who you are, if you're struggling with what you are, um, it's difficult to be at peace in your world if there's not peace in your heart and peace with yourself. Today I want to talk to you about living at peace with others. It's possible to be at peace with your maker, to be at peace with yourself, but still not be at peace with others around you. So I want to talk to you about living in peace with others, which is the final ingredient uh, to having a peaceful and a happy life. Um, let's begin by looking at Romans chapter 12, verse 14. Bless those who persecute you. Don't curse them. Pray that God will bless them. Be happy with those who are happy and weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with each other. Don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people. And don't think you know it all. Never pay back evil with more evil. Do things in such a way that everyone can see you are honorable. Do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. Dear friend, never take revenge. Leave that to the righteous anger of God. And so the apostle said that we are to live at peace with everyone that we can. I think the apostle understood that there's some people you just can't be at peace with. They won't allow you to. It's just impossible for whatever reason. But as much as possible, the Bible teaches that you and I are to live at peace. I'll show you another verse, 2 Timothy 2, 22. Run from anything that stimulates useful lust, Paul said to young Timothy. Instead, pursue righteous living, faithfulness, love, and peace. So he said, pursue peace. Work toward peace. Do everything you can to promote peace. Again, I say, don't get involved in foolish, ignorant arguments that only start fights. A servant of the Lord must not quarrel but must be kind to everyone, be able to teach and be patient 
with difficult people. How many of you know some difficult people? The Bible says be patient with difficult people. Gently instruct those who oppose the truth. Perhaps God will change those people's hearts and they will learn the truth. One more verse. Hebrews 12 and 14. Work at living in peace with everyone. Work at it. Pursue it. It may not come naturally. It isn't automatic. But he said, work at living with peace with everyone. Then he said, work at living a holy life. For those who are not holy will not see the Lord. And so the Bible teaches us not an unrealistic, euphoric state of mind and living. But God said, pursue peace. Work at having peace. It's not automatic. The devil is the, is the foster of confusion and and hatred and strife and division. <clears throat> and you and I, as the children of God, we're here to work toward peace, to conduct ourselves in a way that there is peace in whatever environment that you and I find ourselves in. You know, these instructions came from the first century church. They were not living in an environment that was based on godliness, honesty, clean living, holiness at all. Just the opposite. The first century world was full of hatred and bitterness, war, fighting, murder, uh, slavery, rape. Religion was mixed with immorality. I mean, the first century church was a very ungodly place to live. And the Christians were just a small minority of whatever city they were in for many years. And for them to be in that kind of adverse environment and then still teach that we need to, need to work at peace. We need to get along. Who was he talking about? He was talking about people of other ideologies, of other religions, of other races, other lifestyles. He was saying work at living together in peace with people that don't look through the same lens at the world you look through. Work with living at people that have deep differences in what they believe versus what you believe. But work at it and try to live together in peace. If that applies to the first century church, surely it must be willing, it must apply to you and I today. You see, not everyone is willing to be at peace. We know that. Um, when you have worked hard and tried to be at peace, to live in harmony together and still there's perpetual problems. You know, I find that you have to establish a safe distance. There's a few people in my world, not many, but there's a few people that I know that if I get too close to them, peace is going to evaporate and problems are going to evolve. I know that. And so, you know, there are just some people that you just establish a safe distance. Now, if those people are in your immediate household and your immediate family, um, you have to you have to make some modifications. But as much as possible, uh, you know, when people perpetually, there are problems for whatever reason, not blaming anyone or not taking the blame. You just learn to establish a safe distance where peace and harmony can prevail and not be constant strife and confusion. And so you identify people that you realize that for whatever reason, it's difficult to live at peace and you establish a safe distance. 
When those people are in your home, it's much more difficult. You can't be divided and at a distance from the person you're married to. You can't be divided and at a distance to the children that live in your home. You have to learn how to live in peace, and that takes personal modification and always preferring the other and giving in time after time again. Remember what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5? I'm going to read it from the New Living Translation. God blesses those who work for peace. They will be called the children of God. The fourth edition King James Version says that blessed are the peacemakers. God desired for all of his children to be peacemakers, to work toward peace, to be a voice of peace, a voice of reconciliation, a voice of humility, a voice of love. The children of God are commissioned in this world to be peacemakers. Of course, you cannot have peace with others unless you have peace within. It's so easy to divide. It's so easy to separate. It's so easy to cause strife. It takes a little more work to create peace. You have to guard your attitude and guard your words and guard your actions. You have to take a lot of stuff. You have to accept things that maybe you don't deserve, put up with things that maybe you think you shouldn't. You have to yield your rights, not demand your rights. But such is the nature of a peacemaker. We work at peace and we do everything we can to create peace around us. Peace with those we love, peace with those we interact with. Now I want to take you just a little bit further to the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 18. And again this morning I'm reading from the New Living Translation. And all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. That's the peace child. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. So you and I have the task. We have been commissioned to reconcile people back to God. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us the wonderful message of reconciliation. The wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. So the core of what you and I are given to do in this world, our task, our ministry, is to reconcile people back to God, to be peacemakers, and to heal the breach between God and man, to help people understand the goodness of God, the love of God, the forgiveness of God, how that God wants to bless you and make you happy. He's not mad at you and doesn't want to punish you. He wants to be reconciled together, and that's the message God has given us. But remember, the message does not just stop with salvation when people come to know the Lord. But we have our ministers of reconciliation throughout our lives. We're called to be peacemakers. Jesus was the peace child. It's our responsibility to also be peacemakers and to reconcile the world back to him. The opposite of a peacemaker is a troublemaker. We see that in Proverbs chapter 16, verse 28. It said, a troublemaker plants seeds of strife. Gossip separates the best of friends. You know, you have to be worried, concerned about your words because they're like seeds. And if you can just say a word here 
raise your eyebrows, cut your eyes one way or the other, frown at the right moment, and a seed of division, a seed of suspicion and question is sown. God, help us not to be troublemakers with the words that come out of our mouths, but to always be speaking peace and reconciliation. When you realize that someone has a hurt or a pain, it's a fine art to be able to be compassionate toward them, to be empathetic with them, but at the same time not increase the division between them and the other person that caused the injury. In other words, we want to help people that are hurting and people that have difficulties and maybe they've been injured and there's, there's potential problems, but we want to say things that bring the people back together, that bring healing and reconciliation and forgiveness. We have to be very careful with our words. We don't always know what really happened. We don't always have the ability to fix it, but we have to guard our words very carefully because God has called us to be reconcilers, not troublemakers, peacemakers, not troublemakers. I want to talk to you a little bit about being a reconciler, being a reconciler. First of all, I want to talk about the heart of a reconciler, the heart of a reconciler. In the heart of the reconciler is the value of relationships. A reconciler values a relationship more than being right. You see, as long as someone is trying to prove themselves right and the other person wrong, there's never going to be any reconciliation as long as we're striving to prove ourselves right. But the heart of a reconciler is not to be right, but be reconciled is not to prove the other person wrong, but to prove that you love that person and the relationship is more important than the issue. As long as we're trying to prove ourselves right and someone else is wrong, there will never be a reconciliation. If we're going to be reconcilers, we've got to put relationships above being right. And it's that point that the door is opened up for, real for reconciliation. I want to talk about the mind of a reconciliation, a reconciler. A reconciler has a certain attitude, a certain approach. A reconciler is very cautious about attitudes that might divide and attitudes that might offend. You know, throughout my life, uh, I, I have worked hard to, to cleanse my heart and keep it cleansed from any kind of bias or prejudice, to be very careful that I don't have attitudes that offend, attitudes that categorize and generalize groups of people, attitudes that um, reflect a belief that may not even be right. You know, if you're looking for racial prejudice in your life, you should look for attitudes because it's those attitudes that are the problem. Some people look to their heart and say, well, I don't hate anybody. I don't, I'm not angry or mad. I don't have bad feelings in my heart. Well, maybe not. But there might be attitudes that are causing a problem. And so we're constantly looking for attitudes that are offensive, attitudes that divide, attitudes that demean people and dishonor, dishonor people. God help us to guard our attitudes toward other people. I think about um, the vocabulary of a reconciler, the vocabulary. When you're a reconciler, there are certain things you don't say. Now, sometimes we say things and we don't know how they sound to others. 
Some things we say that we don't realize is having a negative impact and we don't mean them to be bad. We don't mean them to be hurtful. We don't even realize they are. But we say things that hurts. We say things that offend. So a reconciler guards their words and their conversations. We find out what things are hurtful, offensive, and what things are healing and helpful. We try to say things that um, bring reconciliation. Now, we're all dealing with something called political correctness today. And there's a fine line between what I see as political correctness and being a reconciler. A lot of people are trying to be politically correct. You can say this, you can't say that, and use that word, you can't use this word. And I understand all that, and I'm really not preaching anything near political correctness. But I'm just telling you that when you're a reconciler, you're very careful about what words you say, what terminologies you use. You're very careful about how you refer to other people groups and other people in the world. You're just very careful. It's not about being politically correct. It's about being a reconciler and realizing that I can hurt people, offend people, and cause division by the words that carelessly come out of my mouth. So there is the heart of a reconciler. There's the attitude of a reconciler. And then there's the vocabulary of a reconciler. And then there's the behavior of a reconciler. The behavior of a reconciler is we put others first. The King James Version talks about preferring your brother. It speaks of honoring one another. Not dishonoring, but honoring. Valuing, not devaluing. Appreciating, not taking advantage of someone. This is the behavior of a reconciler. America desperately needs to hear from reconcilers today. Our country's divided. We're messed up. It doesn't seem to be getting any better right now. And uh, we need to hear the voice of reconcilers. And I'm asking you to be a reconciler to your family, to your friends, to your world, wherever you work, to the people of God, to the people that are not of God. Be reconcilers. It's not about being politically correct. It's about desiring to have relationship and to live at peace with one another. It's not about being correct or pleasing anybody. It's about doing the right thing, saying the right thing, thinking the right thing. I'm asking to be reconcilers. I don't hear many reconcilers today on the public scene. There's few, if any, reconcilers in politics. If you're looking for a politician to be a reconciler, you really got to look hard. There's not many out there. Mainly they want to crush the opposing political party and candidate. They want to crush somebody. They want to prove themselves right and the other wrong. Demonize one and glorify themselves. So if we're going to look for political leaders to speak a message of reconciliation, it's probably not going to happen to any great degree. If the church doesn't stand up and be a voice of reconciliation, I don't know where it's going to come from. Because it's not going to come from the Republicans or the Democrats. President Obama has missed some great opportunities to be a reconciler. I don't think he knows how, even if he wants to. He doesn't seem to know how. He says the wrong things. At times when he could have brought reconciliation and peace, he didn't get a job done. If he tried, he failed. And now I'm watching our president-elect, and he's not a reconciler. He's gloating in his victory. 
Instead of bringing pieces together and people together, he's just gloating in his victory. Well, I hope he gets over that. And I'm praying that the voices around him will begin to speak reconciliation and peace into his mind and heart. You see, we cannot just put our our confidence in our political leaders. We have to believe that our prayer is stronger than their personalities. That our prayer can override their policies and their ideologies and what they promise in the campaign. We have to believe that if we as the people of God will stand for righteousness and will intercede to God, that God will override our government leaders and His will will be done. So earlier this year, I've been using the word override and how that in prayer, we're believing God to override our political leaders. Override. Let me give you an example of override. The way our government is built, if the Congress passes a law, it then goes to the desk of the president. And if the president is in agreement with the law, he signs it, it's a done deal. If he's not in agreement with it, he vetoes it and kicks it back to the Congress. Then the Congress have the opportunity to pass a congressional override. And if two-thirds of our Congress still want the bill passed, then their two-thirds majority vote will override the presidential veto. So we understand the concept of override. And what I'm telling you is that when you and I as saints of God do the right thing, think the right thing, pray the right thing, that our prayers will override whatever our political leaders are wanting to do. We need a prayer override. And we need to be speaking reconciliation to everyone at every single level. Today I've taken this beautiful Sunday morning in the middle of the season to talk about the peace child and how that you and I are called to be reconcilers in the world we live in today. And I want to challenge each of you to be a reconciler to the world you live in and the world that you influence. It's our ministry. It's our message. It's our task. It's the role we should be playing in the world. If the apostles played that role in the first century, then surely we ought to be playing that role here in modern America. You might have heard me say prior to the most recent election how that I'm pretty certain that God will be really glad when the election's over because he's tired of hearing millions of his people pray for Hillary Clinton to be elected and millions more pray for Donald Trump to be elected. I think God is just ready for us to pray the same prayer together and quit praying for opposite things. What would happen if we could just find a few things that we could land on, to agree on, and all pray together? It's time for us to start speaking unity and not division. The problem is the church is divided itself. We're divided as Catholic and Protestant. We're divided between Baptists and and Pentecostals and lots of other denominations. We're divided in terms of ethnicity. We're divided between Republicans and Democrats. The problem is the church is divided, and we we can't produce a single voice, a single message. We can't pray a single prayer because we're all on different pages. And that's why... I'm preaching on reconciliation again today because the church has got to get together on a few things we can agree on and begin to pray that. And those things we may not see just alike on, we need to set those aside. 
It's not important that I'm right. It's important that I'm reconciled. We're not trying to prove anybody right here. We're trying to do what God called us to do and be peacemakers like God called the church to be peacemakers. I'm going to take you to another verse of Scripture, Ephesians 2, 15 through 18. He did this by ending the system of law and its commandments and regulations. He made peace between Jews and Gentiles by creating in himself one new people from two groups. Together as one body, Christ reconciled both, both groups to God by means of his death on the cross. And our hostility toward each other was put to death. He brought this good news of peace to you Gentiles who were far away from him and peace to the Jews who were near. Now all of us can come to the Father through the same Holy Spirit because of what God has done for us. Now, a lot of people have not found where the Bible directly addresses racial prejudice and bias. Um, those, the word prejudice is not in your Bible, so don't bother going to your uh, concordance. But I've tried through the years to over and over again take you back to the passages that directly relate to racial and division among ethnicities. This is one of the primary verses. Okay, you had the Jews. These were God's chosen people, the children of Israel, ultimately boiled down from 12 tribes to one, that being the tribe of Judah, which we call Jews. By the New Testament time, it was Jews. That was the remaining tribe of God's people, the Jews. They had the Jewish religion. So it was not only an ethnicity, it was also a religion. And uh, they were the ruling religion in Israel of those days, the days of Christ. Then there were Gentiles. Who were the Gentiles? That was everybody that wasn't Hebrew. Either you were a Hebrew, a child, an Israeli, or you were a Gentile. There was only two categories of people. You're talking about narrow-minded these, is, these Hebrews were narrow-minded. They only saw two groups of people, us and them. There was just a few of, of, of us, but a whole lot of them. And most of us here in this building are some of them. We're Gentiles. It was a racial issue. It was a barrier. And, and Paul, writing in Ephesians, said, remember how there was this huge division, this strife, and this anger, and this enmity between the Jews and Gentiles, the Jews and everybody else in the world. He said, but Jesus Christ came... And on the cross, he brought peace between two ethnicities, the Jews and everybody else. The cross was a healing between ethnicities. The Jews and the Gentiles, who had always been at war, now, he said, they're one. They become one body in Christ Jesus. So primary to the cause of Christ and what he was doing was bringing ethnicities together. I believe the church today ought to look like the church of tomorrow that John the Revelator saw in heaven. By the power of the Spirit, he was lifted up and he was transported to the spirit realm where he saw the whole church. It wasn't just the church in his neighborhood where most of the people look and act and think mostly alike, but it was the church of the ages. It was a church of every generation, a church of every ethnicity. And he said, I saw a number that no one could number. And making up that huge, massive crowd was people from every race, tribe, kindred, tongue. They looked every way. They had every culture. They had every distinction that the human race has. And they were all there together around the throne of God, worshiping Him. And that's the view we need to have of the church. I want to encourage you 
to be reconcilers. Now, I've talked to you about America and the world at large. I want to close this morning by talking to you about your marriage, your family, your friends, your work associates, those around you. I just believe that today God is releasing a grace upon us to be reconcilers and peacemakers. I just believe that if this Christmas season has been a little bit tainted by division and strife that you're dealing with in your marriage or maybe your family or maybe your close friends, people you work with every day, I just believe that God wants to bring healing. You know, no one wants to have a sour Christmas no one wants to have a sour Christmas. Have you ever had a sour Christmas? I think Renee and I have had a few sour Christmases. You know, when it was Christmas, it was Christmas, but we had stuff going on. And it just kind of sours the whole thing. You're buying gifts and you're smiling and you're unwrapping them. But just when you've got contention and problems, it can just, it can just ruin the whole thing. God doesn't want our Christmases to be sour by division and strife and headbutting. But God wants to bring peace. You know, reconcilers don't solve all the problems. Reconcilers don't fix all the issues. And reconcilers don't finally decide, bless God, who's right and who's wrong. Reconcilers don't do those things. Because a reconciler is more interested in being reconciled than they are being right. And I pray that this applies to you on any level. That the Spirit of the Lord would come upon you in a great and a wonderful way. You know, sometimes we want someone else to be the reconciler. We want someone else to apologize first. Let someone else come and, you know, initiate it. Then I'll, I'll respond. But you know what? The Father God didn't wait for humanity to turn and look His way. He sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to give His life. He initiated reconciliation. A reconciler initiates reconciliation. And I'm hoping today that I have inspired you with the Scripture to be an initiator of reconciliation. Your family those close friends that mean so much to you, work associates that you're stuck in the same environment every day, all day long, somehow God would bring peace. There's someone in your life that uh, you care about deeply and the relationship is not right. I pray that something here today would just engulf you, give you a strategy give you the right heart and the right attitude and the right words and initiate some healing. Be a peacemaker in that situation. I'm going to ask you to close your Bibles now. And I want to ask you to bow your heads and I want to say a word of prayer and um, ask my prayer partners to come forward. We'll close the service today with an altar open for those that would like to have personal prayer and ministry. While they're coming, I want to pray. Father, I thank you for sending your son as our peace child. Thank you, Lord, that I have peace with you. Even when my world is troubled, I know I'm at peace with you. I thank you for that. 
I pray, Lord, that you would use your humble servant to be a reconciler. Use your people, Lord, to be peacemakers. Let a grace be released upon us, O Lord. Let a grace be released upon us today. If there's anyone under the sound of my voice that is hurting because it's Christmas and yet relationships are in turmoil,